In the past several weeks and months, we've been going through the writings of the Apostle Paul, and I sometimes can't help but wonder what he would be like today in today's world, what he would say to things about the situations that we face today. I would love to hear about what Paul would say about wearing face masks during a pandemic, social media platforms like TikTok and Twitter, racism, or how to cope with first world problems. I wonder what Paul would do for a living. His own writings indicate that he could and did make tents for a living, but I'm not sure if he could find employment in that area today, although he did do a lot of travel and writing, so maybe he was some sort of travel blogger? That's kind of what he is, at least in an ancient form. Throughout his ministry, he traveled from Israel in the furthest east over to Italy in the west and kind of everywhere in between, although it was usually not really in quite luxury cruise ship type accommodations. And one of those places that he stopped for a while was the island of Crete. Crete is a large Greek island in the southern area of Greece, and if you Google pictures of it, which I strongly encourage you to Google pictures of Crete after the, sermon, after the service today because it's gorgeous, you can kind of see why Paul would want to go there. It is a stunning island. And so if he's a travel blogger, and I want to be one now, I would see why he would go to Crete. He was not a travel blogger, however, and he actually went to Crete to plant churches and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and maybe also hit the beach. I would. But after a while, God presumably calls Paul to leave Crete and go elsewhere, and so Paul leaves his friend Titus in charge of the new church there on Crete, and that's how we end up with Paul's letter to Titus that we call the book of Titus in today's New Testament. So in this letter, Paul is teaching Titus many things, but it's a very interesting context. Crete is a beautiful place, again, Google the pictures, but its residents don't have the greatest reputation. In verse 12 of chapter 1, Paul quotes a Cretan writer, a writer from Crete, and this person says, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. These are really strong words, but they come from an actual Cretan writer who's talking about his own people and admitting that his own people are not the greatest. Paul doesn't sugarcoat this at all. In fact, immediately after quoting this Cretan writer, Paul, I think, hilariously says, this testimony is true. And I think that if Paul were around today, that would become a meme, like, oh, this testimony is true. Uh, sorry, not sorry. So Paul is giving Titus a really big challenge, asking Titus to lead a church amongst a bunch of liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And we're going to say that phrase a lot, so say it with me. Liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Sounds fun, right? Paul's overall message to Titus is clear. You have to develop this church, and to do that, the church has to stand out and look different amongst liars, evil gluttons, and, oops, I got it wrong. Liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. We'll all get there eventually by the end of this. So the church has to be really different than that. For the church to succeed in Crete, it has to stand out as a beacon of light amongst liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. I hope everybody at home is doing that too. The reputation of Jesus is on the line with this. So we know that Paul is writing specifically about Crete, but it sounds familiar, doesn't it? What Paul saw there isn't quite unique to Crete. 
We've seen today's versions of liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons, haven't we? And we could add any number of similar descriptions about the world that we see around us. The brokenness that Paul saw on Crete is the same brokenness that we're seeing today. That means that when Paul is helping Titus raise up a church of distinctive Jesus followers, Paul is helping us in our world today to raise up a distinctive church of Jesus followers. And that's our challenge for us today. It's a challenge for me. Am I a distinctive Jesus follower? Is it obvious to others around me that I follow Jesus? Do I stand out in a crowd of liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons? I really want to ask you that today. I want you to ask yourself that. How do I live as a distinctive Jesus follower? To help us walk through us, Titus gives us three ways that I think we can check ourselves with that. So one of the first things that Paul uh, delves into when writing Titus is leadership. Paul helps start the church on Crete, but then leaves Titus in charge, and then tasks Titus with picking good leaders for the church. So let's uh, look at verses 6 through 9 in chapter 1, where Paul writes, An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe, and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now, one of the first things I want to acknowledge about this is that Paul is talking about men as leaders here in the context of the island of Crete. Now, this doesn't exclude women in leadership. There are many other places where Paul affirms and encourages women in leadership. So Paul's criteria for men in leadership here also apply to women in leadership as well. So the things that Paul mentions here are fairly simple. A leader should be honest, patient, kind, and so on. And Paul also notes the kind of things that are not ideal in a leader, a leader who is violent, drunk, dishonest. And that pairs really well with liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. It's a fairly simple list, but it's one that calls to mind another list that Paul wrote elsewhere in his letter to the Galatian church. When Paul wrote to the Galatian church, he spent some time listing off the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The fruits of the Holy Holy Spirit are character traits that we can see in other people when the Holy Spirit is at work in them. Paul lists these fruits in Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23 as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the kinds of traits that Paul tells the Galatians and Titus to look for in a leader. And this becomes formative for us in a couple of ways. First, it helps us inform who we select as our leaders. Now, we may not often get the chance to choose or vote on those who who lead us, but when we do, 
we ought to be looking for those fruits of the Spirit or those list of leader qualities that Paul writes about in Titus in our potential leaders. These are helpful criteria that help us make potentially difficult decisions. But a second way that these qualities are formative for us is that it helps us assess who we are being influenced by. Paul is addressing Titus as he places leaders in the church, and Paul's message to us then is that we need to be influenced by good leaders. We need to follow good leaders and have positive influences. We need leadership that exemplifies the fruits of the Holy Spirit from Galatians and leadership qualities listed off in Titus. This is so important. You have a lot of choice in who you allow to influence you. When you choose good influences, you're more likely to follow Jesus and stand out in a crowd because of it. Bad influences, eh, not so much. And some influences are really subtle. For example, the music that you listen to filters into your heart. <coughs> there was Swift. <coughs> Excuse me. Some influences are not so subtle. The words and thoughts you read and share on Facebook says a lot about what influences your heart. Your influences matter for you as you continually form spiritually, but your influences matter for other people too. Other people are watching who we, as Jesus followers, are influenced by. So we have to choose wisely. So it's very important for us to check our influences. Check your influences. That's the first way I want you to encourage to check yourself. Do your influences help you stand out as a Jesus follower? Are your influences displaying and helping you grow in those essential leader qualities and fruits of the Holy Spirit? If yes, great, keep it up. If not, maybe it's time to assess your influences and maybe choose some more positive influences in your life. Paul then moves on from leadership into what you might call standards of Christian living. So in chapter 2, Paul breaks people into roughly three categories, older generations, younger generations, and employees. First, for the older generations, and I'm not going to define who that is, that's a bit of a trap, you can define that for yourself, <laughs> not going there. Paul encourages these older generations to be self-controlled, respectable, and so on. All the things that we would guess based on the leader's uh, qualities and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Paul also places a heavy emphasis on the older generations teaching the younger generations about the true faith. He is placing a heavy duty on the older generations to teach and inform these younger generations so that they can stand out in a crowd and not be liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Paul gives the older generation a very high standard to live up to. Paul then addresses those younger generations. And again, you can define that for yourself. First, there's an implication that younger generations need to receive the teachings that these older generations are giving. Paul also encourages self-control, a very common theme throughout Titus and more of Paul's writings. And once again, Paul is giving very high standards to the younger generations as well. Paul then addresses slaves. Now, this passage isn't intended to condone slavery. There's a lot that we'd have to understand about what the concept of slavery meant at that time. For our context, 
it's best to understand that it's how to conduct yourself when you're working for someone else. We can think of it as standards as, that you have as an employee or in your work life if you're self-employed. Once again, Paul is self citing self-control, a major defense against being a liar, evil brute, or lazy glutton. In all of these circumstances, Paul is setting a very high standard for Jesus' followers. And we have to be careful here to not think of this as legalism. These standards are not about earning your way into God's good graces or earning your way into heaven. Instead, Paul is asking us to live exemplary lives in order to stand out in a broken world. When our standards for ourselves and each other as Jesus' followers remains high, there will hopefully be no liars, evil brutes, or lazy gluttons. That's kind of what we're trying to avoid today. So that's the next thing that we need to check. Check your standards. Paul raises a very high bar in Titus and elsewhere, and that can kind of seem daunting. But we're not asked to do this alone or by our own strength. We are asked to do this in community and by the strength of the Holy Spirit. We can gently correct one another, hold each other accountable, and encourage each other. No matter what is changing in the world, no matter what challenges we face, our standards should not change or be lowered. Check the standards that you are living by. Do they look like the fruit of the Spirit or the way of Jesus? Check your standards. Paul then addresses another thing to his letter in Titus, posture. Now, what do I mean by that? So, think of posture as the way that you carry yourself. Physically, if your shoulders are drooping and you're slouching and you're just hanging your head, that might mean that you're sad or tired. If you're stiff, you may be really anxious or angry. And good posture is an indication that you're healthy, aware, and ready for whatever is happening. Uh, posture can be spiritual as well. What's your spiritual posture? Are you prone to droop shoulders? Is there a deep despair in your spirit? Are you tense? Are you angry about all the things that are happening around you? I know I can be prone to both of these different spiritual postures. Apparently Paul is writing about me. So when Paul is addressing spiritual posture, he reminds us of who we once were. In Titus 3 verse 3, Paul says that we once were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Paul also cautions later against foolish controversies, which I see a lot of today. Just go on Facebook. Ugh. These are the postures to avoid. Instead, we are called to a healthier spiritual posture. Paul describes this in Titus 3.1 as being obedient, ready to do good, peaceful and considerate, and showing true humility. This is an attitude or a posture, for a stance from which we are ready to act out of. Good posture stands out for the right reasons. The person with good posture looks hopeful, ready for whatever is in store. And good posture takes work. You've probably seen those scenes in the movies where somebody, uh, usually a prim, proper person, is instructing typically a younger person on how to have good posture. 
you know, sit up, shoulders straight, you know, they might be balancing a book on the head. Good posture takes work. It takes practice before it becomes our default posture. And we do have help in this, however. We have community, and we have the Holy Spirit. In Titus 3, verses uh, 5 through 7, Paul writes, He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. The Holy Spirit saves us, washes us, renews us, and in so doing, gives us the posture that the world can see. So, check your posture. This is needed in both our public and private lives. What's your spiritual posture on social media? What's your spiritual posture at work? What is your posture with your friends and your family? If your spiritual posture could match a physical posture, what would that look like? So Paul is writing to Titus to help him lead a church full of distinctive Jesus followers, and that's a hard thing. It was hard then on Crete, an island of liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And it's hard today with the challenges that we face. Standing out in a crowd can be really hard, but it is so vital. Here at Mill City Church, we often say that our mission is loving our community in the name of Jesus. Think of what a beautiful thing that can be. I would argue that there are few organizations beyond the church that exist just to love a community and its people. When churches actually live out their purpose, that stands out. But we can also stand out for the wrong reasons. We have to admit and acknowledge that there are times when a Christian hurts people in the name of Jesus. There's a lot of misconceptions out there about what it means to follow Jesus, in part because we don't always check our influences, our standards, or our posture. If we are not checking those things on a constant basis, our standards can slip, our posture can slouch, and we can be influenced by the wrong leaders. When this happens, we have the potential to hurt people. We have to guard against that. I'm reminded of the Where's Waldo children's books. I'm sure you remember them. If you don't, it's a series of books where on every single page there's an illustration of a huge crowd, and the goal is to find Waldo. And Waldo is always wearing a red and white striped shirt and hat and glasses. He has this identity, but he kind of blends in with the crowd. You have to really search for him. That's not what we want to be. We do not want to have a Where's Waldo kind of faith. We do not be, want to be Where's Waldo Jesus followers where you have to search for us. Instead, we want to be Clifford the Big Red Dog Jesus followers. If you don't remember Clifford the Big Red Dog, it's a series of books about a giant red dog where every time you turn the page, it's the first thing you see. We want to have that kind of faith where when you turn the page, we are the first thing that you see. We need giant Clifford the Big Red Dog faith that stands out on every single page. That's how we live in a broken world. That's how we live in a period of pandemic, racism, political division, 
violence, greed, war, famine, the same circumstances that have been happening for thousands of years. In any circumstance, this is what our, we are called to. This is how we be the church that God has called us to be, how to live into our individual callings as Jesus followers. It's a high calling. It's hard to do. I'm not going to pretend that it's not. It may seem overwhelming, and that's why it's kind of nice to break it down into a few different ways that you can check yourself. Check your influences, check your standards, check your posture. We have to do these things because this is how we represent the light of Christ in the world. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this day where we can be together in your name um, wherever we are. And Lord, we just thank you that you sent Paul to Crete, to an island full of challenges and liars and evil brutes and lazy gluttons. And we thank you that you were uh, giving Paul the words to give to Titus to teach us how to stand out amongst that kind of crowd, how to be distinctive Jesus followers. So Lord, today I pray that you can help us and show us how to be distinctive, how to check our influences, how to check our standards, how to check our posture, so that we can be the light of the world, so that we can stand out and be a church in a time of brokenness and division and despair. So Lord, today I pray that these words can be yours and not mine, and that we can all learn from this and follow you more closely. And we pray these things in your holy name.